Greetings, fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 14 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I've discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for checking out the show this week. I'm sure there are a ton of other gaming podcasts out there that you could check out, so I appreciate you checking out mine. If you're new to the show, please accept my warmest of welcomes. While the Retro Wildlands aren't exactly treacherous lands to explore, the journey is much more fulfilling with more people. But it's Thursday and it's time to settle down for some food, drink, and a retro tale or two, so go ahead and grab a seat by the campfire, friends. If you've been with us before, welcome back. Didi, my loyal canine companion and second-in-command of our expedition, will be around to give you the obligatory sniffing. He enjoys being pet on the butt, and his tickle spot is right near the top of his right leg if you feel so inclined. Just watch it if you have any food on you. I give him too much people food as it is, and he thinks he's entitled now. I'm trying to cut back, but I just cannot deny his cute little face. Oh my god! <laughs> on today's episode, we're going to be talking about a game on the original Nintendo that, after 35 years, absolutely holds up against games today. A game that can still make you feel like a complete badass as you blast your way from stage to stage. A game that helped make famous the infamous Konami code, and a game that is arguably unforgettable if you've played it. Even once. This week, we're talking about Contra for the Nintendo Entertainment System. It's been far too long since I've played this game, and I had an absolute blast going back to this one last week. Growing up, I never really got far in the game. I was able to get to the end of the third stage on my own, but that was about it, and really, I didn't care. Even as a youth, I appreciated Contra for what it was, and I enjoyed playing it every chance I got. Contra is a solid game that is tough, but a fair game. Never did I feel as though my deaths were cheap, and never did I feel upset whenever I did fail. Where Contra excelled was with the way it kept me wanting to play it, even after being defeated constantly. As I played it and committed myself to getting better at it, Contra became one of the few old-school Nintendo games that I was actually able to finish, even without using the Konami code to give myself an edge. Games nowadays have multiple difficulty levels and ways to advance or neuter the gameplay difficulty, but Contra was what it was. As a 38-year-old adult, I think I appreciate that about this game even more than ever. I'm hoping my conversation about Contra will re-spark some old nostalgic memories for those of you who have played it before, or get those of you who haven't played Contra before interested enough to find a way to give it a go. Now before we get to that point in the show, it's at this point I like to give all you listeners a peek behind the scenes here in the Retro Wildlands so you can get an idea of what it is that I'm working on, how the podcast itself is going, and what's potentially coming up as far as future episodes go. I really appreciate transparency when it's extended to me in pretty much all aspects of life, so I wanted to offer that to you as well here. If this sounds boring as hell and you just want to get to the Contra conversation, just bounce ahead about five to seven minutes. I should have also loaded timestamps in the show description if you want to zero in on where you need to jump to, but feel free to stick around. The intro section of the show is usually pretty short and to the point. And I think after 13 episodes, I'm starting to make things interesting and exciting. If nothing else, you won't have to mess with your podcast app and move that dinky little slider around. So last week I complained that my week was pretty busy, and this week is no different. Things at my full-time job are starting to finally ramp down, though, but it was still a busy week nonetheless. The family and I did some fun things over the weekend as well, and it's been pretty non-stop on my end, so Contra was really the perfect game for me to fit in between all of that. Halloween is fast approaching, and the mood around the house has been very dark and foreboding and brooding, but in a great way. Scary movies and shows are on the TV more often than not lately, and it's been really awesome hearing the sounds of victims screaming and things like the Halloween movie theme playing when Michael Myers selects his next victim. I wanted to shout out my wife real quick. She really doesn't do scary movies or specifically anything suspenseful, but she's been working her way through some Halloween classics like the Halloween series, and she just finished watching both the newer It movies. 
I am so proud of you, sweetheart. I know it's not easy watching some of these movies between your fingers, but you're getting there. Soon you'll be able to play some scary video games with me. One game series I've been dying to get into is the Dark Picture Anthology games. I started playing the Man of Medan, Ma- Man of Medan? We're gonna go with Man of Medan. I started playing the Man of Medan a bit, but I never really got back to it. There's also Little Hope, House of Ashes, and a new one called The Devil in Me, set to drop on November 18th of this year. All of these games are developed by Supermassive Games, the same developer behind Until Dawn. I know these games are far from perfectly polished gems, but I can't help but love these games. Being thrown into an immersive game like this and having to make choices that can alter the story and the experience, it's not a new concept these days, but it's a concept that absolutely hooks me. Plus, I think they're fun games to play with a small group of people if you can. So honey, this is what we're working towards. Speaking of spooky, on the last episode of the Retro Wildlands, I talked about how I got a hold of one of my Holy Grail video games. It's a survival horror puzzle action-adventure game that I never knew about until a couple years ago. It's not widely known, at least I don't think so, but it's a game that I've been dying to play through. Since I'm such a sucker for all things scary and Halloween is coming up, I wanted to see if I could cover it on the podcast next week. The game did arrive, and it is in pretty good condition. I've been slowly plugging away at it on my PlayStation 2 Slim here in my home office. I was able to connect it to my computer with the world's cheapest capture card so I can play it and capture some gameplay footage on it. I have to say, I'm really impressed with the graphics on this game. The PlayStation 2 is a beast of a gaming console when it wants to be. So as the week goes on, I'll be diving in headfirst with this gem and hopefully preparing a spooky episode for next week. Oh, and speaking of spooky goodness, there was a small pile of Silent Hill projects that were teased during an event called the Silent Hill Transmission that Konami put on yesterday. Several things were announced that look pretty interesting, but out of everything, the remake of Silent Hill 2 has definitely caught my attention. Silent Hill 2 is nothing short of a masterpiece in video gaming in my mind, and I'm really curious to see what they do with this remake. I'm pretty excited Konami is taking on this project, and I'm cautiously optimistic about it, but I'm still pretty pissed at them for the whole PT thing, however long ago that was. Anyway, the story of James Sunderland looking for his wife in Silent Hill is one of the best stories I've ever experienced, and I'm very eager to get back into that world. What do you think about all the Silent Hill news? How do you feel about Silent Hill in general these days? Feel free to reach out to me and let me know. How do you do that, you might be wondering? Well, I am glad you wondered out loud. And if you didn't, I'm gonna tell you anyway. Reaching out to me over on our social media platforms is the best way to interact with the show and contact me directly. We have a presence over on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if you search at Retro Wildlands. Every day I'm trying to pump out something I hope you all find entertaining, so if you want to spice up your feeds and your walls with some gaming goodness, throw us a follow. I'd love to chat with you all and get to know you. And also, the weekend before each new episode of The Retro Wildlands, I'll make a call out to anyone who wants to write into the show about the next game I'm going to be covering, or if you have a question you want to have read during the show's intro. Pretty much anything is on the table for the most part. Questions, comments, and memories you might want to share pertaining to the upcoming game, questions or comments about the show itself, you can even ask questions of myself, or whatever else you want to talk about. We don't have a huge social media following or anything like that right now, but I did want to give an opportunity for those of you that are with us to interact with the show if you wanted. So if that's something you might find interesting, follow us over on social, and keep an eye out when I post a call out for comments on the weekend. Usually Saturday, sometimes Sunday. Depends on when my lazy ass goes and makes the post. And as far as anything else goes, the podcast still continues to grow little by little. The majority of our listeners are based in the United States, but there are three listeners that just popped up based in Italy. A huge warm welcome to you, my Italian brothers and sisters across the pond. Anytime I see those stats and another random country pops up, I can't help but smile. 
I still have zero expectations on where this podcast is going to go down the road, but it warms my heart that people are giving it a chance, even overseas. Seriously, wherever you're from, Italy, the United States, Sweden, Mexico, I'm happy to have you all roaming the wildlands with me. Alright, and with that, I think it's time for the reason you're all here. It's time to talk about Contra for the original Nintendo Entertainment System. Originally released as an arcade game back in 1986, and then again on the Nintendo in 1987, Contra is a side-scrolling run-and-gun game that puts you in the role of an elite commando with one mission, and one mission only. Blast your way through enemy forces in order to take out Red Falcon, a being so powerful that its very existence threatens all of mankind. It's going to take skill, cunning, and expert weapons handling to see your mission through to the end. And that's if you're lucky. There's no room for has-beens on this mission. You either need to be the hero, or you're going to wind up dead. So lace up your boots, grab your spread gun, and lose your shirt because old 80s action heroes have no need for shirts. It's time for action, and the enemy we face will not stop until we are dead. few things in this world that I love more than talking about video games with other people. Video games can mean a lot to a person, and the memories they make playing them have the potential to stay with a person for a very long time. Sometimes games just give us a one-of-a-kind experience that you can't help but want to share with someone. I especially love it when I talk to somebody about a game that I've never played before. A couple of years back now, my buddy Jeff told me about a little game called Celeste. For those who haven't heard of this game, Celeste is a platforming game where you play as Madeline. Madeline? Maddie. A young girl who takes on the task of climbing Mount Celeste. Along the way, she must face some inward struggles and overcome them as well as the harsh dangers of the mountain. The story is awesome, the graphics are beautiful, and the gameplay experience is extremely memorable. One evening when I went over to Jeff's house, he immediately put an Xbox controller in my hand and told me that I had to play Celeste. As I was playing it, Jeff told me things like how he discovered the game, why he liked it so much, and in some ways how the game made him feel. Celeste is a hard but rewarding game, and those that haven't played it should absolutely give it a try. It really is an experience that everyone should partake in. All of that to say, I love talking with Jeff about Celeste. There was something about the game that really grabbed him, and it was cool seeing a passion come from him through that conversation. Plus, I got to try an amazing game that I probably wouldn't have tried otherwise. If it's not a conversation about a game that I've never played, I love talking to people about the games that they've played that I've played as well. We've all been there, and it doesn't necessarily have to be limited to video games. How many times have we asked a friend or a coworker if they've seen a movie we just saw so we can talk to them about it? Or ask someone if they caught the latest show on Netflix? There's just something awesome about sharing your thoughts and experiences with someone else and seeing if that other person felt the same way as you do, or, if they don't, digging in and getting a new perspective. When it comes to those video game conversations, I love talking to people about their thoughts and opinions, but more than that, I love sharing stories about our shared experiences or learning a new way to play. For example, talking to your buddy about how you felt being chased by Nemesis in Resident Evil 3 for most of the game, or how your buddy then tells you that if you manage to take out Nemesis each time you saw him, he'll drop some pretty unique items for you. Or how you felt when you played through The Last of Us and what the ending meant to each of you. These kind of conversations are just the absolute best, aren't they? Of all the games out there that I enjoy talking about with people, 
Contra for the original Nintendo just happens to be near the tippy top of that list. For those who have played it growing up, the conversation usually goes something like this. Did you ever play Contra on the NES at all? Contra? Aw oh, man, Contra was a fucking sweet ass game. It was so badass. I know, right? It was hard, but it was fair. Yeah, it was a challenge. I used to play it over and over again to practice and get good. You just drop into the zone when you played it, you know? I know. Man, I miss when games were simpler. In my personal experience, Contra was either a game that you played or a game that you never heard of. I didn't find there to be much in between. Contra is one of those games I feel just stood the test of time. Originally released in 1986 in the arcades, the Nintendo version was released in 1987. I was about two and a half years old when Contra came to the Nintendo. I feel like I was around five or six when I actually played Contra for the first time. I have some very vague memories of being babysat by a family friend, and I got to play a lot of Nintendo games that evening. The only game that I do remember playing that night was Contra. Even though I was that little, I remember looking at the game cartridge. There were two guys on it with guns and an alien creature of some kind in the background. It looked like a grown-up game to me, but for some reason I was allowed to play it, and that was awesome. I don't remember much about that first game experience. What always stuck with me, even today, was the sound when you fired your gun. And the sound that you made when you hit a larger enemy. God damn, doesn't that just take you back? Now before I get ahead of myself and drown blissfully in nostalgia, let's all get on the same page and start at the beginning. So, what is this game? Contra is a 2D side-scrolling run-and-gun shooter where the player takes control of either Bill or Lance, two members of a Special Forces elite commando squad. These men are the most cunning, courageous, and ruthless soldiers in the squad, and they have been tasked with infiltrating the Amazon Basin near ruins of the lost Mayan civilization where a large object from space has crashed. Back in 1957, a large object from space crashed in this area, but scientists the world over chalked this incident up as a trivial cosmic occurrence, and it was quickly forgotten about. Fast forward to 1987, reports of an evil force make their way in, and there are tales of a hideous being with an army of alien henchmen in the Amazon Basin area. Because Top Brass doesn't want to upset current political stability, they won't send in an all-out assault on the area. Instead, they send Bill and Lance. Their mission? Infiltrate the Amazon Basin, locate the alien being known as Red Falcon, and destroy it. Needless to say, playing the hero will not be easy. But you have no choice. You must be the hero. Because if you fail, life as we know it will cease to exist and Red Falcon will rule forever. If you do succeed, well, that doesn't matter, because I doubt you will. <laughs> I took most of that right out of the game's instruction manual. Growing up, I never had a manual for this game, and until I started doing some research for this episode, I had no fucking idea that this game even had a story. I just assumed you were two badass commandos and anything that moved needed a healthy dose of bullets. That's why I miss instruction booklets. So much goodness in those pages. So, that's the plot of Contra. When you go to start the game, you can either play a one- or two-player game. Over the years, I never had the chance to play with another person very often, but I will say, playing with a friend actually makes this game harder in a way. We'll get into the specifics as we go, but you can't just frolic and prance around in Contra. This game will destroy you if you aren't completely in tune with it, and that means being completely in tune with your partner. If you choose to play with a partner, you can't come in all half-cocked and not willing to give it your all. You better be fucking committed to the cause. I mean, you don't have to be that serious going into this game, but if you do plan to go the distance, it will take patience and it will take teamwork. 
While Contra isn't really a difficult game, it will slap you around good if you underestimate it. Contra has eight levels all told. Six of them are your standard side-scrolling levels, and two of them are done from a 3D perspective. Before we dive into the levels, let's talk about the game's controls. There's not much to them, but the controls in this game are probably more accessible and responsive than most modern games today. They are a work of pure art, and they are extremely tight. The responsiveness of the controls are so good, there's absolutely no delay when it comes to inputting a command and seeing it happen on screen. Now, I'm not talking about controller input lag or anything like that. It's just that when you're moving your character around and you need him to do something like duck or jump through incoming bullets, the action of you thinking it, doing it, and watching it on screen is seamless. It's like the controller is physically connected right into your brain. Those that have played Contra know exactly what I'm talking about here. So movement is pretty straightforward. You're mainly going to be moving from left to right during the standard side-scrolling levels. Your directional buttons will move you in the directions that you push. If you press down on the directional button, your commando will go prone on their stomach, and you can fire from that position. More importantly, while you're prone, or ducking if you want to call it that, you can avoid some incoming fire from the enemy. If you press the directional button up, you won't jump up, but you will be able to fire your weapon in that direction. If you press your A button, that will make you jump. When you jump in Contra, your commando will actually curl themselves into a little ball, kind of like they're somersaulting. What makes jumping so useful in this game, and a skill that you absolutely must master, is because you can move your commando around while he's in midair, and you can shoot while you're in midair too. The B button on your controller is your pew-pew button, and when you shoot, you'll generally fire your primary rifle as often as you press the B button. It's not always as fast as you can tap it, but it's pretty frequent. You can shoot your weapon in all directions, up, down, left, right, and diagonally. The best part about this is that you can shoot in all eight of those directions while you're jumping. Can you sort of see how much mobility you have in this game? If it sounds at all complicated, trust me, it is not. In some cases, it's going to be your mobility that's going to keep you alive in this game. However, you're still going to need to be good behind the barrel of your weapon. So with that, let's talk a bit about your weaponry, shall we? Right from the start, you'll have your basic rifle. It's a semi-automatic weapon, meaning that it will shoot as often as you press the B button. Damage is on the low end a bit, too. It fires just a single bullet in the direction that you're aiming. It's not a useless weapon by any stretch and can be pretty useful in the hands of a seasoned commando. It's actually the weapon that brings me the most nostalgia. I don't know what it is, but just the sound of that weapon just takes me back. As you go through each stage, you'll come across these flying capsules that will fly onto the screen or these square boxes fixed to the background that the game manual calls a pillbox sensor. If you shoot either of these open with your weapon, a power-up will come out and drop to the ground. These power-ups are the edge that you're going to need in order to stay alive and put the pain to the enemy. Now, while Contra veterans know that there's really only one power-up that matters above all others, there are a decent variety on offer that will give you an edge in combat. Most power-ups will change the type of weapon that you have equipped. You can only have one weapon, and picking up another power-up will override whatever weapon that you have, so you have to be mindful of that. The first power-up that you come across is the machine gun power-up. This one will allow you to rapid-fire your weapon by just holding down the B button. Your fire rate is incredibly fast, even if your damage output is so-so. You'll learn in Contra pretty early on that you want to be pumping out bullets pretty consistently. Enemies are plentiful, and the best way to increase your odds of survival is to attack aggressively. And the machine gun is great for laying out that aggression. Before I forget to mention it, all your weapons have infinite ammo, so if you get the machine gun, just keep that trigger pulled. Of all the weapons that you can get, I really like the machine gun, and it's probably my second favorite overall, 
which is a good thing since this power-up seems to be one of the more common ones. The fireball power-up, or the flamethrower, is not exactly like a traditional flamethrower like you think it would be. When you have this power-up, you'll shoot these little small fireballs that travel forward in a spinning, sort of corkscrew kind of pattern. While the balls themselves move somewhat slowly compared to other weapons, the corkscrew pattern makes them move both higher and lower than regular bullets, so that can be useful. From a power output standpoint, they seem to dish out decent damage against harder to kill enemies, but I can't get behind its slow fire rate. I tend to avoid this one, even if I only have my basic rifle. It just fires too slowly for me personally. I also suspect that not very many people care about this power-up either, so this one's last on my list. Next up, we have the laser power-up. The laser is an interesting weapon to me. It is by far the most powerful weapon in the game. When you press your B button, it will fire a solid laser beam that's pretty lengthy for what it is. As the beam sails into the enemy, it does massive damage. If you're facing regular enemies, the laser will kill them instantly and continue flying forward, so any regular enemies in line will get taken out by the laser, which is super awesome. However, that's really the only good thing about this weapon. The one drawback is the range on the laser, and it's pretty short overall. You generally don't want enemies to get anywhere close to you, and the laser makes it to where some of them have to get uncomfortably close to you in order to be hit by it. What's worse, if you fire another laser while your first laser is flying through the air, your first laser is actually cancelled out. That really sucks. So to use this weapon and get the most bang for your buck, you have to press the B button and let your laser fly out a ways to be effective before you can fire it again. This completely contradicts how you use weapons in the game. Unless you're using the machine gun, you're constantly tapping your B button so you have to kill that habit with the laser. So that said, I tend to avoid the laser power-up more than I pick it up. It's an interesting power-up for what it is if you want a unique challenge. Definitely grab it since it forces you to play differently if that's something you're into. The last weapon-based power-up is by far the best one, and you should do everything in your power to obtain it. I, of course, am talking about the spread gun. It's not the spray shot, and it's not the shotgun. It's the spread gun, and that is final. And to solidify that point, that's what the instruction booklet calls it, and the instruction booklet is law. This magnificent power-up is the one and only power-up you need to make Contra and Red Falcon your bitch. When you see it, that big shining S, it's as if the heavens themselves have bestowed upon you the most righteous of gifts. It descends upon the battlefield as a choir of angels sing. The spread gun fires about five bullets in a wide arc, and they'll travel pretty far, too. If you're standing in the middle of the screen and fire, you can hit most everything in front of you, above you, and below you at a pretty decent distance. If you're close enough to a target, you'll be able to hit it with all the bullets fired for some sizable damage. But even at a distance, your damage dealing range is pretty vast. All generic enemies will die in one hit, so if you have the spread gun and you keep up the aggressive fire, you'll usually be able to take out most threats before they even have a chance at getting near you. This is what makes this weapon the best without question. Do everything in your power to get this power up, and whatever you do, do not die. If you lose a life, you'll lose whatever power up that you have and be given back your basic rifle. Nothing in this world generates more disappointment and overall sadness than having a spread gun and losing it. While all hope isn't lost, your combat effectiveness is nowhere near top tier without it. Now aside from the power-ups that change your weapon type, there are a couple others that can even the playing field a bit if you manage to grab them. First up in this category, we have the rapid fire power-up. I think I've mentioned a few times that, aside from the machine guns, your weapons fire semi-automatically, so each time you press the B button, you fire your weapon. 
Now, your weapons fire mostly as fast as you can hit the button. There can be a delay here and there. However, with the rapid fire power up, your current weapon will have its fire rate increased. So when you fire your weapon, it should fire more bullets more often. I will say though that I didn't always notice this. Maybe I just never pressed the B button fast enough or I was just too engrossed in the action to really see it, but either way, I always made it a point to grab a power up with the R on it. What's the worst that could happen? Although I did read online that the rapid fire power up does not make the laser fire any faster, so there is that to consider. Now it's not too common, but occasionally you'll come across the force field power-up. It has a letter B on it, since the flame ball flamethrower power-up already has the letter F, so I think barrier power-up is a universally agreed upon name. This baby is just like the invincibility star in Super Mario. When you grab this power-up, for about 20 seconds or so, you won't take any damage if you touch an enemy or get hit by a projectile. If you do touch any basic enemies, they'll be killed in classic Super Mario fashion. Now you will still die if you fall into a pit or something similar though. If you're able to grab this power up, I would suggest just pushing through as much of the level as you can. Don't dick around too terribly long. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where the barrier fails and you can't jump or shoot your way out of it. It is hard not to want to push yourself though. When you get the barrier power up, you start to blink. Once the ability is about to wear off, the blinking will start to slow down. Use that time to dial back your assault a bit and settle into your normal routine. The last power up that you can find is the mass destruction power up. It's pretty straightforward. If you collect it, all basic enemies on screen will die. This power up is pretty rare, so don't count on it to show up when you need it. The times I do remember grabbing it were very few and far between. Usually what happens is most of the enemies on screen are already dead due to my aggressive attack strategy and the power-up is rendered useless. Still, it's a nice addition to the power-up lineup and if you do manage to snag one while the screen is full of enemies, it's pretty cool to see them all explode in a blinding flash of white light. Alright, so that's the overall view of the game itself. We have our mission. We've been over the snare drum tight controls, and we have a sense of the tools that are at our disposal. It's time to get on site and commence our mission. Stage 1 is the jungle level, and probably the most memorable out of all the levels in the game. You're dropped in and the action begins immediately. The level itself isn't too hard, but it is no joke, especially if you haven't played the game before, or you haven't checked it out in a while. As you make your way to the right, you're met by the game's first enemies. You've got one running right at you, and you have a rifleman hanging out right below you. What's the first thing you do? You start firing right in front of you. It just takes one shot to waste the idiot coming towards you. As you're running, you hold the directional pad down and to the right so you can fire at an angle. The asshole never stood a chance. You notice a pillbox sensor right after the rifleman. With continued fire, you take it out and see your very first power-up appear on screen. The giant M is like a call to action. You grab it, and you've upgraded your rifle to the machine gun. Almost immediately after that, there's a flying capsule that's zigzagging in from the left. You take it out, and out pops another power-up. The big red R on it puts a smile on your face. It's rapid fire. If your machine gun wasn't firing fast before, it's going to fire at some pretty high speeds now. From here, we come across a metal looking bridge. As soon as you start to run over it, it starts to explode and you're sent pummeling into the river water below. Even though we can't jump while we're in the drink, we can still shoot. As we move forward, a new enemy makes its appearance on the side of the cliff face in the form of a gun turret. This one isn't going down so easily though. We take aim with our machine gun and let loose. Done and done. All it took was just a couple extra bullets. Everything that I just described happens in the first 30 literal seconds of the game. 
There's no tutorial, no hand-holding, no kid gloves. You're thrown right into the shit. Right away, you'll notice there isn't a health bar or anything like that. All it's going to take is one hit by the enemy to kill you. One bullet, one touch, one scratch, and you're dead. All that's on screen are little medals that are on the top left-hand side that indicate how many lives you have. You start with three lives total, and you're able to get more as you go. I believe you get an extra life when you complete a stage, and when you get so many points added to your score. If you're being aggressive and taking out most of the enemies that you see, you'll start earning extra lives before too long. And you'll more than likely need all of them to see the game through to the end. At the end of every stage, there's a boss encounter, and we have to defeat the big bad before we can move forward. At the end of stage one, we're met with a terrifying foe. We have to shoot a door. <laughs> yes, a door. But the door is shooting back at us. More specifically, we're staring down a big wall, and the door portion of it is at the bottom. On the top of the wall, there's a sniper who's taking pot shots at us. He needs to be taken out first. Once we do that, there are two turrets lobbing big red grenade ball thingies at us. The range on those isn't too long, but we still have to be careful. Once we take out the two grenade turrets, we're free to pump lead into the door until it explodes open. And that is it for stage one. Once we move on to the second stage, we're met with the first of two 3D perspective stages. I always loved the 3D stages. They were just so cool to me growing up. Not many games I played had a perspective like this, and the music during this stage was just amazing. Because the game was so hard for me growing up, getting to this second stage was a feat in and of itself. Your character starts off at the bottom of the screen and is facing upward. In the back of the room is a steel door. The object here is to blast open the door by shooting and destroying a round flashing circle on the back wall. I used to think of these as kind of a doorbell. Once I smash the doorbell enough, it explodes and it takes the door out with it so you can move on. But of course, it's not as easy as that. Running from left to right against the back wall are enemy soldiers who are trying to shoot you. You can shoot at them and try to take them out, but I always found it better to just be on the defensive here. There's a laser grid that's right in front of your character, so you can't move forward. You always have to stay in the back, so your offensive abilities are kind of limited in that sense. You can still jump and duck, and I highly recommend ducking. No enemy bullets will ever be able to hit you while you're on the ground, so it's a perfect evasive maneuver. You just have to be careful when you stand up and try to move again that you don't accidentally take one on the chin. Occasionally, you'll have an enemy toss a grenade your way, though. You can't duck under those, so you'll have to get up and move to avoid it. So that's always a fun time when you see one of those coming. Just stay calm, remember your training, and you'll make it out alive. Once you make it to the end of Stage 2, you'll come across the stage boss and... I don't really know what the hell to call this thing. You're basically fighting the back wall, I suppose? You're still in the 3D perspective, and when the screen fades in from black, you have two gun turrets staring down at you, and they start to shoot bullets in a wave pattern, and there are four other targets that you need to shoot, and it's all happening really fast. Once the four shiny targets are taken out, the core is exposed, and slides from left to right on the top of the wall, all while shooting these blue circle thingies down at you. The circle thingies can be destroyed with gunfire, and when you do do enough damage to the core, you complete the level and ascend to the next area. The game continues on like this until you make it to Stage 8 for the final showdown with Red Falcon. Stage 3 takes place on the side of a waterfall, and instead of having you travel from left to right, you're moving upward from platform to platform in order to ascend to the top of the stage, where the next boss is waiting for you. When I was little, if I ever made it to stage 3, that's as far as I would be able to get. I never saw the boss at the end of the stage. At least I never saw the end of the stage on my own. 
You have to be on the lookout for enemy soldiers coming in and taking shots at you, gun turrets embedded into the side of the walls, and you have to be mindful of falling boulders too. It was chaotic to say the very least. But just like the rest of the game, you can make it if you trust in your instincts and you embrace these tight controls. It wasn't until recently that I played through the game to completion for the first time. The last stage was really something special, I thought. Stage 8 is the alien's lair, and I absolutely love how it looks. The stage is dark, it's brooding, it's haunting, whatever other descriptive words we want to use, it's just awesome looking. The walls and platforms you stand on seem to be alive. Alien parts and pieces make up what it is that you're standing on. Gone are the soldiers and gun turrets that you've been fighting, and instead, you're fighting the actual aliens themselves now. In the very beginning of the stage, you have to take on a huge alien head that's hanging from the ceiling that's spewing little alien creatures from its mouth. They kind of look like shrimp. Taking it out isn't too difficult, and when it does go down, you almost expect the game to end at that point. But it's not quite that easy, soldiers. After you take out the head, you have to descend deeper into the cave. It's pretty clear that the creatures in this level take inspiration from the Aliens movies. I mean, it's obvious, right? Some of the creatures that you look at are very obvious callbacks to the Alien franchise. I mean, the facehuggers. There's facehuggers in this game. Now, when you get to the end, you have to destroy Red Falcon's actual heart. It's a fantastic last battle. You're going to have tons of facehuggers coming at you, but if you keep your cool and focus on your mission, you will come out on top. If you're able to finish Contra, you're met with a scene where you escape by helicopter and you are hailed as a hero. And if you do beat this game, you absolutely should be proud of yourself. If there's anything I think most Contra veterans can agree on when it comes to this game, it's that Contra is hard, but it is fair. When I started to replay Contra after years and years away from it, I got my ass handed to me pretty regularly. It probably took me a dozen attempts to get myself past the third stage. But every time I lost all my lives, I never got pissed about it or thought that the game was doing me dirty. Contra gives you everything that you need to succeed. You have extremely responsive controls, and even though enemies seem to come at you from all angles, there's no obstacle you can't make your way past if you don't pay attention to what's happening. So what am I talking about exactly? I didn't really notice this until I was replaying Contra this past week, but once I experienced this phenomenon, I realized it was something I experience every time I play Contra. I call this phenomenon Contra Focus. Now, I think most of us can agree that one of the best things about video games is their ability to disengage us from our worldly burdens. The really great games can do this to us without us knowing that it's doing it to us. It's easy to think about narrative-driven games when it comes to this sort of thing. The Last of Us is a great example of a game that takes fantastic gameplay and a stunning visual presentation and wraps it in an immersive story experience. I think most games in the Uncharted series accomplish this pretty well also. It's easy to get sucked in and tune most everything else out with games like these because they're almost like a cinematic experience. But I dare say that Contra has the ability to get you just as, if not more immersed within itself, far more than The Last of Us, Uncharted, or any other similar title. But how can that be, Nomad, I hear some of you say? It has no real story to speak of, and the visual presentation is mostly on par with Nintendo games for the time. Contra accomplishes this purely on its stellar gameplay and its gameplay alone. The best part about the Contra Focus phenomenon is that it's not reserved for just the hardcore gamer looking to beat the game or get the highest score. This can happen to anyone. The gameplay is designed in such a way that it pulls you in and effectively shuts out everything around you. Contra demands 110% focus, and if you give it anything less than that, you will die, and you will die often. But the weird thing about this phenomenon is that when the game does kill you, you don't get frustrated and you don't rage. You see death as fair. 
The game gives you everything you need to survive in the form of your weapons and in the form of your mobility. If you get hit by a stray bullet or a hazard that you weren't paying attention to, it's 100% on you. And you come to realize that pretty quick. What's more, you realize the game is trying to teach you. When you die, you get just a little bit wiser. When you stumble, you get just a little bit more confident. Once you start getting into a flow state where you're killing bad guys and using your mobility to dodge incoming attacks at the same time, that's when you slip into Contra Focus. The world around you quite literally fades away. You don't hear sounds around you like the dog whining to go outside or the kids complaining that they can't find their phone chargers. Your eyes are locked on the screen and your fingers have a direct pathway to your brain. You're moving forward, firing with your weapon. You see a volley of incoming fire. You go prone and watch the bullets sail overhead, all while you don't let up on the trigger. Back on your feet, you turn around to blast the three goons coming up behind you. You mentally flip them the middle finger before you jump up to avoid another volley of bullets heading towards you. You sail over the volley and, before you hit the ground, you blast the assholes who had the audacity to shoot at you in the first place. Right as you land, you catch a glimpse of a flying capsule in the air coming towards you. It's not in range to shoot yet, you'll have to time it just right. But oh no, a turret just appeared in front of you. You hit the deck and spray it with gunfire. Just as it explodes, the capsule is right overhead, but you can't get to your feet fast enough to shoot upwards. It flies by, but all is not lost. You run forward, shooting upwards at an angle. You hit the capsule and the power-up falls. That big S looks like a heaven-sent angel as it descends. As you jump towards it, eager to claim the spread gun, you didn't see the white little bullet about to make contact with you. No! You press back on the directional pad and change your heading, allowing the bullet to sail right over you. Ew, that was close. The power-up hits the ground, and you land right on top of it. And now, you have the spread gun. A small smirk starts to form on your face, but you know it's no time to celebrate. You still have a mission to complete, and things are only just beginning. Everything I just described is something that usually happens within a five-second window of time. Now, Contra isn't always this chaotic, but there can be a lot happening at once. The beautiful thing about its gameplay is how simple it can be while being as immersive as it is. When you die in this game, it's a lesson learned. More than anything, though, Contra is a game that puts out what you put into it. There are no cheap deaths, and when you fail, it's all on you. The fact that you come to realize this so early on, too, is a testament to the game design. And 35 years later, this is a huge part of why Contra can be considered a must-play game even today. Now back when I was a kid playing this game, I of course didn't get very far on just the three lives that the game would give me. Sure, I'd earn an extra one here and there, but generally speaking, I just couldn't go the distance. But one day, my stepdad did something that completely shattered my tiny little world. We sat down to play a session of Contra together, and right as I was about to press start, he told me to hang on a second. He took the controller from me and started pressing buttons on it really fast. I looked at him quizzically. Then he pressed the start button and it looked like we were getting ready to go. Before the first stage, the usual on-screen prompt came up. My eyes immediately grew wide. Near the top of the screen, you can see how many lives you have going into each stage before it starts. Instead of seeing the normal three, I saw a three and then a zero next to it. 30? Did we just have 30 lives? I turned to my stepdad and asked him if I was seeing things. He just smiled and said, Nope, we have 30 lives. When I asked him how he did it, he said what all parents say in moments like this. It's magic. Absolutely believing him, I was in awe. How did he do that? Seriously, the concept of a cheat code was something that I wasn't aware of. Whatever, it didn't matter. My stepdad and I played a shit ton of Contra that night. It's funny though, even with the 30 lives, 
We still didn't beat the game, but we got farther than we ever did. I was very much a liability at my young age, and I'm sure the reason we didn't succeed was because of me, but we had an absolute blast. So what was that mystery code that my stepdad entered? Most of you know, I'm sure, but that code went on to be known as the Konami code. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, be a start. In Contra, if you enter that code on the title screen, you'll start the game with 30 lives instead of 3. To this day, I have no idea how my stepdad got a hold of this code. I assume a coworker, maybe. Either way, the Konami code was an awesome addition to the game for me growing up because it allowed me to get further into the game than I would have otherwise. This was especially helpful if I was playing with somebody else. So speaking of somebody else, Contra is one of those games where playing with another person doesn't necessarily make the game any easier. There's already a lot happening on screen that it can be tough for one person to keep track of. If you have another player on screen, they tend to just add to the chaos. Plus, you can't just keep moving forward without your partner. You really have to work together and be in tune with one another to see the game through to the end. You also have to be mindful of power-ups, too. Best case scenario, you're both able to grab a spread gun, and then you're both just ripping shit apart like two badass commandos. Now, I want to go back to the Konami code really quick. There are some passionate players out there in the retro gaming community, and I think the general consensus is that the usage of the Konami code is frowned upon if you're using it as a means to beat the game. I sort of want to weigh in on that argument. I think this argument can extend outward to cheat codes in general, but I don't really want to get sucked into that hole, at least not on this particular episode of the podcast. When it comes to using the Konami code in Contra, I'm of the firm belief that it is not at all necessary to complete the game. You do not need 30 lives to beat this game. Does it make things easier? Sure. However, coming from a 38-year-old dude who doesn't have nearly the finger dexterity and attention span as I had when I was younger, I can beat Contra without the Konami code. And you know how you do that? You practice. You put the time in. With the exception of one boss encounter near the end of the game, there really isn't anything random about this game. Enemies generally appear in the same spots, stage hazards are the same every time, if you commit to just playing the game and allowing yourself to slip into that contra-focus state, you'll get further than you ever thought you could. And getting a hold of that spread gun does wonders for your survivability, too. It won't be an easy road, but the best thing about this is that playing contra never felt like a chore to me. At its core, it really is a fun experience that I think everyone can get into. So playing over and over again never really felt like work, and it certainly didn't feel boring. One of the big reasons for that, and I haven't touched on this at all yet, is the soundtrack. I argue that Contra has one of the best soundtracks in gaming, period. And not just on the NES, I'm talking period, period. And jamming to the music in this game just enhances the overall experience. So it's alright if you die and have to start over. The music becomes your battle cry and your war anthem. It is so fucking good. So all that said, do I look down on the Konami code and its usage in Contra? Hell no, and here's why. What do you want to get out of this game for yourself? Do you want to have a good, casual time and just enjoy yourself for a little bit? Are you not that good and you just want to practice? Want to get your kids to play with you and don't want to worry about them losing all their lives in 30 seconds and making it a not-fun experience? Go ahead and enter the Konami code, and don't you dare feel bad about it, my friends. Personally, I played this game multiple times using the code. It helped me practice and just get better in general. And looking back, I had a genuinely good time playing with my stepdad and not having to worry about losing all my lives so early on. The experience of playing the game through with 30 lives absolutely trumped trying to beat the game and failing constantly with just the 3 lives that you're given. Before we move off the Konami code, I just want to reiterate. While it's fun to use, and I do advocate its use for a variety of reasons, Contra is absolutely beatable without it, 
And I think for you to say that you have beaten this game, you have to have beaten it without using the Konami code. I know that sounds daunting, but if I can do it, so can you. I mean, check out YouTube. There are plenty of videos out there of people playing the game to completion without using the code. All it takes is commitment, practice, and a willingness to sink into that Contra focus state. So as I wrap it all up, Contra may be 35 years old this year, but it stands up against some of the greatest games ever made. The best part about that is Contra really doesn't excel in every category. It's just solid throughout. Graphics for the time? Solid. Controls? Solid. Music? Solid. Co-op experience? You guessed it, solid. Replayability? Yep, solid. Contra was built around one single idea. Anytime I got a chance to pop this game into my Nintendo, I always felt a little rush of adrenaline. The title screen slides in from the right and locks into place. You press the start button and you're immediately put into the action. While there's a story in the instruction manual, in the game, you're thrown right into the action. No scrolling text or anything to explain the plot, no cutscene to set things up, it was just on. Even today, playing Contra makes me feel like a badass motherfucker. It's just me, my rifle, and maybe a friend if I'm lucky enough. Charging through levels, laying waste to all before me, if the enemy somehow gets the better of me, I don't get mad, and I don't rage. I just dust off, reload, and get back on the battlefield. If you've played Contra before, it's been far too long since you've played this game, and you need to find a way to get back to it. If you've never played this game before, you really should. Not very many games out there create the kind of experience that you'll have with Contra, and you owe it to yourself to see what all the fuss is truly about. was episode 14 of the Retro Wildlands Contra for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Thank you so, so much for hanging out with me today and letting me pump some sweet, sweet nostalgia into your ear holes. And if you've never played Contra before, I'm hoping the show gives you enough reason to give it a go. Contra created a lot of good memories for me, and it's an experience I'll never get tired of. It's still funny to me that such a simple game can create such complex feelings. God damn, I love video games. Now, if you like the show, please consider following or subscribing to it on your preferred podcasting platform. If you want to show the podcast and myself some support, I'd appreciate it if you left a good review if your podcasting platform allows you to do that. Good reviews help get the podcast circulated around, or at least that's what I assume since all the popular pods I listen to have piles and piles of good reviews, so I figure it's gotta help, right? And if you really want to help support the show, the absolute best way you could do that is to spread the word about the podcast. Tell your friends about us, the couple co-workers that you can tolerate, and the few family members you still have left that you see at Thanksgiving and at Christmas. Better yet, tell your dentist about the Retro Wildlands. If your dentist is anything like mine, they love to chat you up when they're wrist deep in your mouth. This is a perfect time to tell them about the podcast. Just try not to drool on yourself too much in the process. You can also support us by following us on social media. Social media. Social media. The Retro Wildlands has a presence on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search at Retro Wildlands. I try to post content I think adds some good vibes to your timelines and feeds. So if you want to see things like gaming videos, pictures of my gaming collection, a beer I might be enjoying, or photos of my incredibly photogenic puppy, throw us a follow. Plus, it's a great way to interact with the show and the best way to reach out to me personally. So what's coming up next week? Next week will be the week before Halloween and I've got scary games on the brain. I've been teasing a new-to-me game that I got a hold of this past week, and I'm working my way through that now. 
It's an absolute hidden gem, and you've either heard of it and know its legacy, or you haven't. Either way, I'm still working my way through it, so I don't want to commit to it being episode 15 until I've had a chance to really finish it up. If I can't for some reason, I have a game on standby that I'll use to fill in the gap nicely. I apologize for being so ambiguous, I just don't want to give you a half-assed episode of a game I feel like the majority of you gamers out there probably haven't even played yet. I want to make sure that the episode is entertaining as well as informative, if nothing else. In any case, if you can't wait until next Thursday to see what's coming down the line, just follow us on social and you'll get all the deets over there. I'll definitely post what's going to happen in the next few days. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands. Retro Wildlands